Hi, everybody. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford sitting alongside the one and only Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. And Wes, interesting way to start the show here because we've spent a lot of time talking about the Packers' top two draft picks, cornerbacks Jair Alexander, Josh Jackson. We've also spent a lot of time talking about the three wide receivers that were drafted on the third day of the NFL draft. There was a guy picked in between all of that that we really haven't talked about a whole lot, but he's a guy who could play a pretty important role on this Packers defense in 2018. I'm talking about linebacker Oren Burks from Vanderbilt. Now we have to see, obviously, when the pads go on in the summer, the preseason games, and how he fits into what Mike Pettin wants to do, but this could be a pretty important draft pick for the Packers here. See, here's the thing, Mike. You obviously are a draft expert. I always push this as, <laughs> you know, all 256 guys who come off the board, none of them surprise. Flattery will get you nowhere, Weston. I, I'm more about the first two rounds. And once you get out of the first two rounds, that's where it sometimes is like, okay, you recognize some of these guys, but others you don't. Burks is a guy I, to be honest with you, didn't know a whole lot about. And then hearing his story and listening to him talk, you know, you talk about him starting as a defensive back and playing safety and eventually moving over to linebacker. So to be quite honest with you, when he came into the locker room for the first uh, availability with the media, I was anticipating a guy that probably looked a little bit more in the form of Josh Jones, uh, a full, you know, six foot one, six foot two uh, safety, but, you know, a guy that mirrors more of a safety. I look at Burks now, and it's like, how did that guy ever play defensive back? Yeah. Because he is ripped. Yeah, he's got I mean, some size. There is nothing small, you know, whatsoever about his stature and, and how he fills out. He looks like an inside linebacker. And now you bring him in, and he has those measurables, the kind of things you look for in those hybrid tendencies. It just seems to me, when you also, you know, factor in Burks' his, his, um, you know, intelligence and coming from Vanderbilt – this is a guy who appears to be built for defenses in 2018. Yeah, and he played safety initially at Vanderbilt, as you mentioned, but that was about 20 pounds ago. He said yeah. he played safety when he was around 215, and really he's one of these guys whose body was still maturing and still developing through his college years. He didn't come out of high school with uh, really that, that full-grown male adult body, so he was still growing, and really because – his body was still maturing. That's partly what led to his position changes along the way, going from safety to outside linebacker and then eventually yeah. to inside linebacker. What's interesting to me about Burks is I think this sets up very well because you you and I are much the same way. We're always a little skeptical of just how much rookies can play in the NFL. How much will they really contribute right away? And what intrigues me about Burks is that Coming from Vanderbilt, he has the smarts to learn the playbook. We've seen that with other guys too, Blake Martinez yeah. from Stanford, Ty Montgomery coming from Stanford. Those guys were ready to jump in right away. So he's got that going for him. He's changed positions a lot along the way, as we just mentioned. He's played a lot of different spots on defense. And then on top of that, he actually said in meeting with the media here in Green Bay for the first time that his coaches – um, his head coach, Derek Mason at Vanderbilt, also doubled as the defensive coordinator when he was there. And then also his inside linebackers coach his final year in Chris Marr. Both of those guys focused on teaching their players the entire defense. Their yeah. their coaching and teaching wasn't about here's your position, here's your responsibilities, you know, just do your job. It was about understanding the big picture. So he's coming in 
really with uh, uh, with the type of background that can allow potentially a young player to hit the ground running, so to speak. And again, I don't want to speak for how he's going to necessarily fit in with what Mike Pettin wants to do. But my point is that I think on the mental side of things, he's going to be ready if they find a role for him. And it's such an important role to be able to have that, that mental capacity to not only process that information, but to be prepared for what you're going to see on a given day uh, because of what your responsibilities are in coverage, what the potential responsibilities are as a blitzer. He said he did that occasionally there, being able to defend the run. It is the one position inside linebacker where you basically have a hand in everything. And for the most part, it's pretty balanced across the board in what your responsibilities are. You can be better in one area than another, but you better not be deficient in one area, otherwise you're going to get exposed. Uh, With Burks coming into the league now, as you said, I always am very cautious making expectations too high for rookies. Right. Because you and I have seen it time and time again, Mike. If you go into a season and you're counting on rookies to play out of their mind – you're probably not going to get to where you want to go. You have to have plan A, plan B, plan C. And sometimes you're going to get Casey Hayward. Sometimes you're going to get Greg Jennings. Sometimes there's going to be these guys that step out and ball out their first year. But for Burks, I think the important thing is understanding the jump he is making now, going from Vanderbilt, and as it is talented and experienced he wasn't in that defense, now trying to understand what Mike Pettin's trying to do and what his role is going to be here. That being said, all of those experiences pulled together are going to be really helpful for him in being able to really take his game and transfer it to the next level. Yeah, and this potentially sets up well for him because we've heard both HaHa Clinton Dix and Mike McCarthy use the phrase likable and learnable when it comes to Mike Pettin's defensive scheme. So from that standpoint... He may not. There may not be the the complexities initially that a player has to decipher compared to say Dom Capers' defense. And it's interesting when you compare with Blake Martinez. He picked up Capers' scheme from the mental side of it. He had it down, but even he admitted his rookie year. Then he was out there almost thinking too much, and it wasn't until his second year that he really cut himself loose and really felt more yeah. comfortable. You wonder with with a different scheme and just a different way that Mike Pettin goes about it, will that process be accelerated potentially with a player like Burks? The strength is the whole with Mike Pettin's defense and that he ties all those concepts together. He did it in New York, he did it in Buffalo, and to some extent he even did it in Cleveland. And I think him bringing in his scheme now into Green Bay, if he can weave all of those different components together and have his type of players in that scheme, I think they're going to get to where they want to go. But the big thing for Burks, because we saw it with a guy from Stanford like Martinez, is taking it one day at a time yep. and making sure you understand what you're doing before you're going out there trying to do it. Yeah, no question about it. With that, we'll go to a break back with more on Packers Unscripted right after this. Welcome back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford in this chair, Wes Hodkowitz in that one. Wes, looking back on Rookie Orientation Weekend, we've talked a lot about the rookies, obviously, but there are also a handful of guys who participate in that uh, who are not necessarily rookies, but they're eligible to participate because they haven't been on the active roster. They haven't played in enough NFL games to be ineligible for, uh, for a rookie orientation type of system. And uh, one of those players that is definitely worth discussing here is tight end Emmanuel Bird. The Packers 
um, haven't really added to their uh, their tight end depth chart this year beyond uh, Jimmy Graham and Lance Kendricks at the top of things. And uh, um, you wrote a fantastic story on our website, Packers.com, outlining the background of Emmanuel Bird, a story that hadn't really gotten out there in terms of everything that he's overcome with uh, with his family and how he was raised. I don't want to steal your thunder. Go ahead and tell us what you what you discovered in the story that you wrote. Well, this starts off for me actually going back to last preseason. And I don't know if you remember that, but Bird comes in as a streak-free agent. He got cut by the Chiefs, uh, and the Packers brought him in. And I was really impressed by the kid. He did everything he possibly could to make the team. Caught every pass thrown his way. Didn't matter if it was Aaron Rodgers, Joe Callahan. He was catching it. Packers cut him, he goes back home, almost gets into teaching, they bring him back in November on the practice squad, and then at the end of the season he has that performance against the Detroit Lions, 29 yards, and ends up having a really fine outing, and I talked to him after the game. So those quotes, because that was the end of the season, I kind of stashed for an off-season story. And I remember being at the Combine, and Chase Litton, who was the quarterback for Marshall, which is where bird played okay he was talking to the media at a side table and i wanted to ask him about michael clark the big phenom you know came in former basketball player ends up being on the roster and i remembered that bird also had gone to marshall so i asked linton about him and his face just lit up no pun intended the moment i brought up his name and he just said he's the most humble and one of the the hardest working people i've ever met and getting a chance to talk to him a little bit mentioned you know, he has a really interesting backstory. So that allowed me to go back to his bio. It wasn't like I did this great sleuthing on the story or anything. And it turns out that Bird had lost his mom when he was six years old. And then the woman who raised him, his aunt, um, Claudia Marshall, she passed away during his junior year of college. Father's not really involved in his life. Those were the bedrock for him and his brother, Roscoe, who's a year older than him. And getting a chance to talk to Emmanuel and Roscoe about this and what they've gone through, uh, basically watching their mom die at a young age she had an asthma attack she ends up being transported to the ambulance dies on the way to the hospital gets raised by their aunt a single mother herself them and her uh, their older sister getting welcomed into their family and getting a chance to talk to Amanda about what this has been like and it all this pales in comparison mike when you look at trying to make a roster as an undrafted free agent or whatever, the big goal for them was just trying to get a free college education. Yeah, uh, Roscoe went and played at uh, a, uh, sorry, uh, UAB, uh, Alabama-Birmingham. Uh, they shut down the program at the same time that his aunt comes down with cancer. She was a two-time breast cancer survivor. It metastasized to her jaw. And um, both of those guys were still playing college football at the time when she passes away. There's so many layers to the story, but just seeing Emmanuel's approach to everything, going back to last summer, and even, you know, no matter how insurmountable it is to make the roster, he overcomes that. After understanding the backstory a little more, it gives you a better appreciation for exactly who this guy is. Yeah, and I know you and I are are in the business of uh, of chronicling the stories and and trying to get to know these guys a little bit and, you know, but when you when you get to know one of these guys in that respect and tell that story. It's hard not to root for him. And, uh, um, and I know we can't really do that. That's not our job to cheer for certain guys. But, uh, but I think, uh, I think a lot of people, a lot of Packers fans who have now read the story. And if you haven't read it, be sure to check it out on Packers.com. Emmanuel Bird will be, uh, become a little bit of a fan favorite as one of these underdog type guys. And you mentioned all the different layers to the story. I mean, the other layer to it, aside from everything with the family, is just the fact that this is a guy, he started out at junior college. Yeah. Then he, he wasn't wanted to recruited go, at all. Yeah. Like, that was then, the thing. Then wanted to go to Alabama, Birmingham, 
to join his brother, but they shut down the program. Yeah, so then he had to find that. another place to go play. Ends up ends up playing at Marshall. You know, gets into the NFL as an undrafted player. I mean, that path alone to be where he is right now is pretty remarkable. And then when you add in all of the family and personal stuff, uh, the trials and tribulations that 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 he's gone through. I you know. He's an impressive young man, and I can't imagine just how how mentally strong he is. I mean, you know he'll be able to handle whatever's thrown at him. Yeah, and he has his degree, you know, and he said one of the big things his aunt wanted to see was him and his brother walk across the stage. Unfortunately, she wasn't able to do that um, in the, you know, literal sense. Right. But uh, the fact that both of those brothers finished their degrees, that was her Super Bowl, as Roscoe said. And uh, one of the other things that was really sad, too, is the fact that when she was having her cancer. The, the surgery to remove the cancer from her jaw, part of her jaw, was the same time that Emmanuel was supposed to go to Marshall. But it was so important to her for those kids to finish their degrees. Uh, she wasn't asking anybody to come in and, and stay with her. She wanted them out. She wanted them prospering. And, uh, you know, Claudia Marshall is going to be someone that's definitely going to stay with both of those those kids for a long, long time. Well, both of those men. Yeah, Emmanuel Bird will be uh, will be certainly making a strong push for a, a roster spot here in his second year in the NFL. With that, we will go to a break. Back with more on Packers Unscripted right after this. Welcome back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford here, Wes Hodkowitz there. Wes, if there's a theme to this show, I guess it's the uh, it's the forgotten guys, the forgotten stories amongst the Packers. And there's another one here that's worth talking about because, as we mentioned, the Packers drafted three wide receivers on the third day of the draft. But there's a fifth-round draft pick at wide receiver from last year who spent his entire rookie season on the practice squad, never made an appearance on the active roster like Michael Clark did, right. like Reggie Gilbert did at the end of last year. Wasn't one of those guys. Fifth-round draft pick out of Purdue, and I'm talking about D'Angelo Yancey. And this is, a, this is an interesting story because the competition at wide receiver for however many spots are available this summer through training camp and the preseason is going to be pretty intense. It's going to be really fun to watch. And uh, talking to D'Angelo Yancey this past weekend, as he again participated in in rookie orientation as a practice squad holdover, he's uh, <laughs> he doesn't want to, he, He's saying, "Hey, don't count me out." He's not going to. Uh, he's not going to back down from anybody. This is a guy who's going to throw himself into this fight for uh, for a roster spot, and he feels like he's way more ready for it now than he was a year ago. Yeah, and uh, I mean, you and I have said this since the day that the Packers drafted G- D'Angelo Yancey. He has a swagger about him, and he has a really good size for the position. I mean, he is, I think we used a lot of comparables last year to James Jones. Um, you know, Jamon Moore probably fits some of those as well, but he's a bit taller, a bit, a bit more full, you know, fuller. But Yancey had some good plays last year. It was just the consistency side of it that I think kind of held him back yeah. in, in trying to make that jump from Purdue um, and being what was really just a big play possession receiver, a lot of over-the-top stuff. I mean, some of that, th- some of those things you're not going to get away with in the NFL, and I think Yancey found that out, especially during the first three weeks of training camp. I remember doing a story on him last August, you know, as he was sort of mounting a little bit of a push to make the roster near the end of it, saying like, I, I don't think I fully, you know, understood. I think he appreciated the opportunity, but I don't think he fully understood just how much of a change it was going to be, you know, in an NFL camp playing NFL teams yeah. and a bunch of guys that are all hungry to to carve out their spots. 
He's in a really interesting spot now, as you pointed out in your story. I mean, last year he was able to get a lot of work with Aaron Rodgers when he was working with the scout team. Uh, and realistically, it's wide open behind Devontae Adams and Randall Cobb. All of these guys, nobody is locked into a roster spot. No. There is a across-the-board competition for those three, four you know, spots, however many the Packers decide to roll with. Yeah, and he, as you mentioned, a big moment for him was last year late in the season when Aaron Rodgers was coming back from the broken right. collarbone. Rodgers took a, a few practices where he was the scout team quarterback. Yancey was a scout team wide receiver all season long because he was on the practice squad, so he was always on that look team you know, being the, the scout team offense for the number one defense. But getting those practices with Aaron Rodgers, I sensed in talking to him that kind of gave him a little boost in his confidence that uh, that in working with Rodgers, he, it sort of reaffirmed that he's doing some things right. He's remade his body a little bit. He's dropped about 15 pounds from where he was. He says he feels a lot, a lot smoother, a lot, a lot faster, getting in and out of his brakes better, all that kind of stuff. You know, and and everything about the uh, uh, you know, the game slowing down for him as well. Now, this is a guy he, he had, I believe it was around 19 yards per catch his his yeah. final year at Purdue. He, may, he certainly made some big plays, but um, he found out last year a couple of things. One, he uh, he said he didn't really take seriously that every rep in practice is like a game rep. That's how you have to go about it when you're trying to make an NFL yeah, there's team. No walk I, think, I think he appreciates that a little bit better now. And the other thing is he's also learned there's no such thing as status. His comment was, you know, when the helmet goes on, there are no favorites. He was a fifth-round draft pick who got cut. Yeah. Um, so that's the whole, you know, there is no status. It worked against him in a sense last year because his draft status really didn't matter. Well, he looks at it as, you know, now it can work in my favor because just because the Packers drafted these other three guys, that doesn't mean that they're going to keep them over me. If I go out and perform, I'll get the spot. And it's it's the healthy attitude to take, and I'm interested to see what he does. Yeah, and, and to just touch really briefly on the Rodgers scout team thing, you and I, it seems like every year, every summer we talk about this, when Aaron Rodgers is running the scout team, there's nothing scout team about it. It's Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> Rodgers versus the world. Uh, it doesn't matter who else is on the field with him. He's going out there to win. Uh, so that competitiveness, you have to imagine, is going to go far now as Yancey goes into uh, probably the, the biggest summer of his life uh, trying to show that he's an NFL receiver. Yeah, all right. With that, we will go to another break. Back with more on Packers Unscripted right after this. Welcome back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford joined by Wes Hodkowitz. And Wes, before we get too far away from the NFL draft, there's one other thing we should uh, toss out there for discussion. It's something that Mark Murphy has addressed in his monthly column on Packers.com called Murphy Takes Five. And that is the possibility of Green Bay hosting the NFL draft at some point. And now to clarify where things are in that process, initially the Packers had applied to host the draft right around this time in the 2018-2019 area. I think there was some sentiment to maybe try to get it for 2019 with that coinciding with the 100th birthday of the Packers in August of 2019 coming up. But the Packers decided to delay their application, and now they um, have applied to host the draft in either 2021 or 2022 
And one of the big reasons behind that is uh, the Brown County Arena just across the street here from Lambeau Field is being replaced by a new exposition center. And that is supposed to be finished by that 2021-22 timeframe. So that would be something that could be incorporated then, a, a new facility incorporated into however Green Bay would host the draft. So some interesting goings on there. And, you know, we won't know anything obviously for quite a while, but I don't know about you. I think if the city of Green Bay hosted the NFL draft, that'd be pretty cool. I think it'd be really neat, and uh, especially since there's no chance uh, in this lifetime that we're going to see the Super Bowl come here for obvious reasons, <laughs> uh, I, I think this would be a really good consolation. And it would have been cool for the 100 year to be able to, to host it, but you know, Titletown is still in the infancy of this project. Yeah, that's, made, another, that's another factor as they've well. They've made so many strides with it, but yet there's still a lot to be, you know, parceled out and figured out and, and implemented. Uh, and then obviously, as you mentioned, the exhibition hall as well um, is going to go a long way uh, in being able to develop everything. There's hotels coming up everywhere, it seems like. There's like two going up right now on the east side of Lambeau. So the hotel thing is another aspect of this that needs to get shored up. But you can see all of the steps are moving in the right direction to this possibly being, uh, you know, a reality at some point. And honestly, Mike, it's the most storied franchise in the history of the league. Um, it means so much to the NFL. It only makes sense that at some point it will find its way to Green Bay, Wisconsin. Yeah, I think it will at some point. When exactly that's going to be is uh, is very hard to say. But uh, but you know, you look at what's been done so far with this traveling you know, thing with hosting the draft, Chicago, Philadelphia, both did a great job. Dallas had it based in the stadium in, in Jerry's world there that sort of almost took it to a new level in terms of the, the fan intensity and, and the fan involvement and everything. So kind of a new standard here now for, uh, for these uh, cities coming up in 2018 and 19, or I'm sorry, 2019 and 2020 to host it. We'll see what happens. It's only increased the awareness and popularity of it. And I think it's also avoided it from getting stale too. It brings some new life to the project. Absolutely. Absolutely. With that, we are going to sign off on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com. On Twitter, he's at Wes Hod. I'm at Mike Spofford at Packers. For the team account, thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time.